0: So every entrepreneur who wanted to grow had to do international business. If somebody was in Munich and he did business with Stuttgart, that was the capital of the kingdom of Württemberg, or Dresden, that was the kingdom of Saxonia, that was international business. And somebody that has gone into the DNA of German entrepreneurs. They internationalized much earlier than entrepreneurs in other countries and That is one pillar. The other pillar is our technical competencies. We still can do many things which uh, not everybody can do.
1: Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host Dominic Munkhaus. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance. Exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Herman Simon. Herman has been on the show a number of times before. So if you like our conversation, go back and dig out those older episodes. We'll link to him in the show notes as well. Herman is a pricing expert. He co-founded Simon Kutcher Partners, Partners Global Pricing Consultancy. And in fact, the phrase price management has entered the English language as a result of his work. He was inducted into the Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame in 2019. And he's written a number of books, Price Management, Hidden Champions, Confessions of a Pricing Man, Pricing Power, Hidden Champions in the Chinese Century, and his latest book, Beating Inflation. So we have a fantastic conversation. As ever, we talk about price, we talk about inflation, we talk about the difference between Germany and the UK, or the EU and the UK, Brexit, the US. Things that Herman has a unique perspective on. Always enjoy talking to him and getting his view of global economy, politics. Great conversation with him. I'm sure you'll enjoy it again.
0: Hello Don. I am Hermann Simon from Germany. I am the uh, founder and today honorary chairman of Simon Kutcher & Partners. We are a relatively large consultancy with 2,200 people all over the world in uh, 47 offices, 30 countries. And in my first life, I was a professor for 16 years, a classical university professor. And, uh, but I always had the ambition to have an impact on practice. That's why I changed to Consulting and founded Simon Kutcher. Dr. Kutcher was my first doctoral student. Uh, I I did it together with him.
1: Do you know what? We've spoken a number of times. I didn't realize you were a professor before. What was your professor of?
0: Professor of Business Administration or Management Science with uh, emphasis on marketing. And my research specialty was pricing during these 16 years as university professor.
1: How rare is that, that a professor actually gets their hands dirty and does it for real rather than just the theory?
0: It's quite frequent that professors do some consulting on the side, but retain their professorships at the university because that's guaranteed income. I gave up my tenured professorship and uh, went full-time into consulting, that was in ninety-five because I wanted to focus on, on building a global consultancy. And nobody in the academic environment understood that I could give up my public at, the, at Johannes Gutenberg University uh, professorship, uh, lifelong tenured <laughs> position, but I never regretted that. And built the number one pricing consultancy in the world. We are now the number one in pricing, yes.
1: Well, look, it's fantastic to get you back on again and pick your brains. The last time you were on, the world seemed slightly different. Inflation was crazy. The banks were raising interest rates over and over again. feels as though interest rate rises. We might be at peak. What's your thinking? What will happen? What's your crystal ball gaze for 24, 25?
0: Yeah, when we talked last time, inflation was around 8 to 10%, a little different from country to country. But still, in the early stage of inflation, interest rates were very low. You got a mortgage for 10 years for, for 1% or 2%. And um, inflation... Went on 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 this magnitude for about a year and a year and a half, and now it has come down, but it will stay with us at a moderate level, not at eight or ten percent, but I expect between four and six percent. Why has it come down? The main driver has been uh, the the decline of oil prices, energy prices. And of course, uh, increasing interest rates which have dampened the demand. Now, why do I expect that it will not go uh, back to the target rate of 2%, which the central banks are, are striving for, but uh, 4 to 6%? We currently have a new wave of wage increases. Uh, in, in Germany, where we see wage increases between 5 and 10% negotiated by the trade unions when the german railroad just increased prices by 4.9%. So i think that will be the magnitude in the coming years. So we we still have as companies also as consumers to cope with inflation maybe for the next 5 to to 7 years. And uh, one driver the Money supply, the volume of money injected by the central banks has not much declined. Only five to ten percent over the last year and a half. And it takes time for the central banks to bring the money supply back to a reasonable a reasonable level. It's it's still four or five times higher than it was ten years ago.
1: So there's a lot of correcting still to do, and so yes
0: implications
1: really for people's pricing strategy for the next certainly foreseeable future they've gone from a point where certainly lots of our clients were they might have, some some of them had contracts that didn't in, that had no pricing increase built in some of them had pricing increases built into their contracts but they'd never put the price up to existing
0: customers
1: many of them have found that painful but they need to keep keep going
0: Yes, um, to to really understand the situation, we should go back 20 years or so. And um, since 2000, we had a, a period of extreme price stability. An annual increase of actually less than 2%, which means for a company that you go once per year to your customer and ask for a modest price increase. Then within a very short time, the inflation rate uh, jumped to to 10% or so. And the the procurement costs for for energy, for certain, uh, for for electronic chips jumped by by 50% or 100%. So sometimes the procurement prices doubled. And that forced companies to pass on these costs. And instead of going once per year to your customer, you had to go every month or every two months. I know companies who increased their prices eight times in in, in 2022. And that makes life for everybody very difficult Mostly so for the for the salespeople. Imagine you are a salesperson; you have to go to your customer and ask every two months for a price increase of two, three, four percent. You will not be very popular there, and it has affected the the profitability of companies, which went down. But now it's it's recovering again. But I think we should uh, stay. We have to stay alert. Observe uh, developments of costs of of a consumers' willingness to pay, and I have a discussion almost every day with people who complain that everything has uh, gotten so so expensive. So people really feel that uh, the gap between available income, disposable income, and what they have to to spend is is narrowing. It's a tough time, and it will remain a tough time for the coming years.
1: And so your, your advice to do multiple small increases in pricing
0: still stands. It still stands. Yeah. Yeah. To understand the changes in, in consumers habits and willingness to pay. For instance, we did one study and found that for day to day consumables, people pay a lot of attention to price. 54% of the consumers in our study said we pay more attention to price, we switch to cheaper products, uh, to private labels, to to unbranded products. But for holidays and vacations, only 16% said that. So it depends also very much because after three years of corona, people want to go for, for vacation and are less price sensitive. You have to understand what is my situation? Is it more similar to the tourism industry? Or is it more similar to the day-to-day competition of the of the supermarket?
1: Okay, and taking that inflation at sort of three, four, five percent over the what's your view of where we are in the economic cycle? Are you expecting growth to start again? Eurozone apparently in recession
0: at the moment? I think that differs a lot from country to country, it seems that America is doing very well. Yeah. Whereas in Germany, we have small negative growth this year. Of course, the automotive industry, which is very important in Germany, is highly affected. Electric cars don't sell as well as expected. New Chinese competitors come in. That is putting pressure on on the German economy. Then we have the crisis, Ukraine, Middle East which uh, create a lot of uncertainty. So I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to make any forecast because nobody knows today how these uh, wars and crises will develop. Uh, how long is Putin going on? Uh, will the Ukraine prevail? Nobody knows that. And that has a, long, a, a very strong effect on not only on energy prices, but ultimately on, on everything we sell and buy.
1: Yeah, and only only a small proportion of American GDP is export led. So much of the American economy is internal and circular. And interestingly, I saw a thing where you know Republicans were complaining about the aid for Ukraine, and then somebody pointed out the facts were that actually the Ukrainians were being sent old armaments and the U.S. were buying new armaments. And so, in fact, all of the money that they're sending to Ukraine was being reinvested being in, 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 in
0: the in, uh, armaments in a, industry. Yeah
1: in, yeah, in the United States and leading yeah. to significant yeah. expansion in, um, in the defense
0: sector. Yeah, because even the, the stores of ammunition and similar products are depleted in the U.S., so they have to to refill them, which means new investment. And if they say uh, they send old tanks to Ukraine, they have to replace them by newer yeah. ones. So this induces yeah. also new investment wave in public spending in in the US.
1: Yeah, in a different way that, than it's happening across Europe.
0: Yeah, but in Europe, it's uh, at least Germany is the biggest contributor after the US to, to Ukraine, and we also have. our our defense budget. Uh, So they made a special budget, 100 billion euros over the next couple of years. And uh, our army is anyway, our armed forces are not in good shape with regard to material. We just ordered uh, a bunch of uh, F-35 fighters. Each of them cost a billion or so. So we have a similar effect in Germany as in the US.
1: Except you're buying F-35 fighters from... The oh, the US. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what um there's some other pricing pressure, I guess. The uh it seems that people either a number of things, either artificial intelligence or remote work or outsourcing, anything that an organization does to to reduce its cost base to offset any of the lack of pricing they've been able to drive through to customers, customers are want some of that back customers want a share of that. Have you got some sense of what's happening in as a result of pricing pressure from artificial intelligence?
0: If costs go down due to artificial intelligence to more offshoring, outsourcing, etc., this cost declines will be passed on not immediately, but in the mid and longer term to the consumer. Uh, competition takes care of this because it's, it's never the case that only one company realizes the, the cost declines and cost advantages. Several companies do it and uh, so competition will take care of this. But we also have a positive side on 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 prices because products deliver higher value. I mean, it's Unimaginable fifteen years ago that somebody would be willing to pay one thousand dollars or pounds or euros for a mobile phone. Today, the iPhones <laughs> cost more than one thousand pounds, some fifteen hundred dollars or so. But they they offer extreme value. I mean, it's a, a machine from photographing to recording to looking for the weather. You can do everything with an iPhone and so it's, it has much higher value. It's four times more expensive compared to the introduction in 2007 when, when the iPhone cost $399. Now you can buy iPhones for, for $1,600. And many of the innovations create higher value and higher willingness to pay. An electric car is more expensive than a combustion engine car, but still people buy it. Many bought it because of the subsidies, but people who are environmentally conscious, etc., they buy it and if they have um, photovoltaics on their roofs, they have their own gas station in the house. I know quite a few people who thrive for nothing because they create their own own electricity to charge the car. Is
1: there a point where the electric car does it reach price parity with the combustion engine before the combustion engines are phased out for regulatory
0: purposes very difficult to predict due to one reason and the one reason is not the productivity gains and the cost decreases they will come the experience curve will work but the unpredictable factor is the raw material prices for lithium for cobalt etc and uh, last week i talked to an expert he said it's impossible. Actually, the CEO of a very large, well-known automotive company, he said it's impossible to equip the whole car fleet with electric uh, engines because the raw material supply for the batteries is not sufficient, which means that raw material prices will remain high and uh, already today, one, one third or more of an electric car uh, goes to the battery, and this percentage will probably increase. So we have a reduction in costs, which drives price down. As far as the assembly, the other parts are concerned. Whether we have a reduction in raw material costs, is, it's unpredictable.
1: Huh. So with the legislator saying we're phasing out combustion engines, they're going to have to walk that back, is your thinking?
0: The CEO of this company, I I cannot uh, name the company, but it's a very well-known automotive company, a famous brand, he says, it's impossible. That's fascinating. And he said, we pursue in parallel development of uh, combustion engines, further improving them, reducing uh, the the gasoline consumption, energy consumption, electric and hydrogen. And he said the state should not make a decision on the technology. The state has never been competent on deciding on which technology will do best in the future. He should leave that to competition. The competition will settle this problem.
1: Yes, it's like governments deciding on whether it should go VHS or Betamax. Yes, yes, yes. Some countries would just have absolutely picked the wrong one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we we have uh, many many of these examples like uh, VHS against Betamax, etc., where the market decided the best system prevailed, like in in evolution, like uh, your old friend uh, from Britain, Darwin described it. That's <laughs> how competition works: uh, survival of the best.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, what's happening in Germany? What's the the mood? Uh, Big economic tectonic plates moving in Germany that are different to the UK,
0: maybe? I think a big difference is uh, in a very hot topic here deindustrialization. And huh. to describe the situation in Germany, in Germany, still roughly one quarter of the cross domestic product comes from industry, from production. In the UK, it's only half that percentage, something between 10 and 15 percent. And politicians, trade unions uh, propagate, we must fight against de-industrialization. I have the opposite position. I say we need deindustrialization. And I have a couple of arguments which are interesting. First, if we compare Germany to the UK, the US and France, our Industry share in the GDP is about double. That cannot be. We, we are all highly developed nations. How can it be that our percentage uh, in the GDP is double? Second argument, energy intensive and environmentally hazardous industry do not belong to Germany. Steel, glass and all these heavy energy consumers. They must go to locations where energy is cheaper. Then we have a shortage of of young people, of talent. Everybody is looking for qualified people and don't find them. They must come from the old industries. We have enough new investments and we must set people free in the old industry to employ them in the more productive new industries. For instance, in, in battery A couple of battery factories are under construction and they are looking desperately for people. Another factor is the old industry used a lot of land. For instance, between Cologne and the western border, you have these uh, brown coal mining pits, open pit mining. Hundreds of square kilometers are occupied by these industries. And land is a scarce resource in a in a densely settled country. And the last argument, wherever we have and the same applies to Britain, we have tried to keep dying industries alive. We have wasted hundreds of billions of, of Deutsche Marks, Euros or Pounds. Think of the mining industry, which has disappeared today. So I think we need deindustrialization. But when I say that publicly, uh, there is a strong opposition, aggressive reaction, but I still keep on saying it.
1: (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, at one level, driverless trains, you know, the unions fight against taking the conductors off the trains. Then they're fighting against taking the drivers out the trains. We've almost got autonomous vehicles. There can't be any reason why you need to have a person sitting driving a train. And Lots of these uh, other industries, it's the same. It could be done cheaper elsewhere, done better elsewhere. No real reason why you need to have mining done in Germany. People don't like change, though. And they don't know what's going to replace it. Uh, Hence the sort of hysteria around artificial intelligence, losing jobs to artificial intelligence. But every time there's been one of these shifts, there's been a net gain. It, It feels as though that, you know, you said the US is... Sort of half what Germany is, I was reading something recently though about the u s seems to be having a almost reindustrialization there lots of organizations bringing manufacturing back to the u s from further afield but also from Mexico, and hence why they 've got such a low unemployment rate does that is that just a blip or is that a longer term trend do you think
0: uh, it's it's both of course, my argument that the industry share in the GDP is too high in Germany, maybe turned around for the US that it has maybe it has gone too low okay. under the Chinese competition, so that it makes sense for them to re industrialize. But where does the re take place? Mostly in new industries. Which actually do not create that many many jobs. I just had a discussion with uh, somebody from Taiwan, and a Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, one of the, the largest uh, ship manufacturers, they build a huge plant in 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 Texas, and most of the work is done by robots and by automation. And there, the the, the labor cost advantage of of low wage countries. Doesn't count any longer, What you need is talent, uh, top people, and it's interesting what the CEO of Intel said, why they choose uh, Germany, Magdeburg in Eastern Germany, as location for their giga plant. They invest 30 billion euros there. And he was asked, what were your criteria? And he said, number one, availability of top talent. Number two, logistics. Number three, quality of life, which includes political stability and only costs as number four. So, this is a new priority or rank order which defines location attractiveness for, for very modern industries.
1: How's Germany feeling about immigration? Because certainly in the UK, it's become a hot topic with record breaking immigration last year, mainly not because immigration's gone but actually emigration has gone down over the last 10 years. And so net net has gone up but because fewer people are leaving. But, I mean, you had uh, Angela Merkel's open borders for a while. How do you see this playing out with access to talent?
0: The sentiment towards immigration is similar here to the UK. But we have one one difference. We have this new uh, right uh, extreme party Alternative for Germany, Alternative for Deutschland, which is especially in, in Germany gaining 20, 25, 30% of the vote. Actually, next year, there are a couple of elections in three states in Eastern Germany, and these extreme right may come out as the strongest party. So we are very concerned about that. The consequence is we have to contain immigration. It's uh, too much. On the other hand, we need immigration, but we need the right immigration. And we mostly had in the recent years, also under Angela Merkel, we had lots of unqualified people coming in. Uh, Sometimes people are not even able to read and write, and we need qualified immigration. But it's very difficult to to control. And we have one big disadvantage compared to the UK or the US. People in India and elsewhere don't speak German. They speak English, so they can start immediately when they work in, in the UK. But here they have to go for a year or so through language courses. We have right now 1.1 million Ukrainians in Germany, refugees, and they are different. They are eager to learn. Uh, just yesterday, we had a couple, uh, a mother and a, and a son here. They have been here for a year and they speak German quite well. Yeah. That is different from people who come from Syria or other Middle East countries.
1: Do you see that, so that immigration becomes a stays a hot topic for the foreseeable future, access yeah. to
0: talent? It is certainly the hottest topics uh, the most polarizing topic, and it will stay there, because I mean, when you look at Africa, Africa now has a population of 1.4 billion, which will double in in the next uh, 30, 30 years, and uh, according to surveys in Africa, 40 percent of the African population want to leave Africa, and they don't go to China or to Russia. They want to. They, they will go to Europe, including the UK. Get to the US is much more difficult. <laughs> than to go to Europe. So we we have to somehow manage that differently. Have you got any thoughts on what that looks like? No, yeah, I mean, what your government is trying to do with, with Rwanda, That's, uh, Germany tries to copy that, but uh, they've run into difficulties with uh, the judges at the, at the Supreme Court. So w- I, I think we have to find solution where we prevent people from coming in whose asylum process is then run here and takes, when they are here, they will not go back to their countries.
1: What else are you seeing? You said earlier before we were recording it, Hidden Champions. In the past, we've, we've spoken about your book on how Hidden Champions was really about German businesses that dominated uh, the list. I think from memory, it was Billion dollars at privately held, billion dollars turnover was your, was your definition?
0: My definition of hidden champions, which has been adopted by most uh, writers on the issue, is one of the top three in its market, revenue less than $5 billion and not known in the general public. So $5 billion is the upper threshold. That sounds high, but relative to the largest corporations of the world, the Fortune Global 500, that's small because the Fortune Global 500 have an average revenue of 84 billion and the smallest of them still crosses 32 billion. So I talk here about a new segment, large, larger mid-sized companies which are global market leaders, but nobody knows them. And the reason behind that is that the reality is very different from what people think. When I ask people, what is the economy? They say uh, automotives, uh, telecommunications, uh, large airplanes, so the things they see. In reality, the economy consists of, of 100,000 separable markets and only maybe 200 of them are large markets. 99% are small markets where you can be the global market leader or one of the global market leaders. And um, while germany is uh, especially strong in this uh, sector i find hidden champions all over the world uh, in the uk in new zealand uh, they exist everywhere but nobody knows them
1: one of the things we spoke about before was this was the mindset that had driven germany in the past to be good at it because germany had in the relatively recent past was a was a series of republics So trading in Germany was sort of you you is almost cross border from the beginning.
0: Yeah, yeah. We were a collection of small fiefdoms, monarchies until 100 years ago. So every entrepreneur who wanted to grow had to do international business. If somebody was in Munich, capital of Bavaria, and he did business with Stuttgart, uh, that was the capital of the Kingdom of Württemberg, or. With Dresden, that was the kingdom of Saxonia, that was international business, and somebody that has gone into the DNA of German entrepreneurs. They internationalize much earlier than startups or entrepreneurs in other countries. And uh, that is one pillar. The other pillar are technical competencies. We still can do many things which (laughs) not everybody can do. Let me, let me just uh, describe an extreme case. Probably the most high-tech, most extreme industry, I actually call it deep tech, is extreme ultraviolet lithography. These are the big systems on which the ever more miniaturized chips are made. And the supplier, the, mon- the global monopolist is ASML from the Netherlands. And the two key players in, I call this an ecosystem, are Trump with the laser. This laser shoots 50,000 tin drops per second on the ship. 50,000 per second. And it consists of 457,000 components. The laser is less complex than the optical system of Carl Zeiss. This system reduces the distance from 193 to 13 nanometers. Nano is one billionth of a, of a meter. And it puts, I hope you sit, but you stand. It puts 56 billion transistors on the surface of your fingernail, of your thumbnail. <laughs> 56 billion. And it took... 22 years to develop this system. It, it, it consists of a number of mirrors. If you would extend one mirror to the size of Germany, the deviation would be one millimeter. That's not rocket science, that's Fabian rocket science. That's,
1: that's fabulous.
0: These technical competencies, for instance, I, I just visited a company in, in Eastern Germany, They sort seeds. When you have seeds, there are good seeds who grow and bad seeds who do not grow. They sort their machines, their systems very complex again. 40,000 seeds per second, be it rice seeds or, or or corn seeds or whatever it is. 40,000 per sep into good and bad ones. And I could give you dozens of these <laughs> crazy examples.
1: They, it, it it's funny because I remember reading a book as a kid called How the World Works. Yeah. That's and part and of most, it. right. And most, most of the things, you know, like a toaster, how does it work? Or, yeah, you know, but yeah. we're now into the realms of these things that are beyond imagination and are difficult to even understand, conceptualize yeah. how they work.
0: Yeah. It's even earlier. We we have no idea that somebody needs machines to sort forty
1: thousand seeds a second. Yes,
0: and we have no idea that on on the surface of your thumbnail there are fifty six billion transistors. We cannot imagine it, but these people do it. What what do they get used for? Yeah, it, 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 these are the chips which are in the smartphone, in in each car, or um, Apple smartphone. Guess how many suppliers Apple has in Germany? 10. 767. Huh. But you don't know any, any of that. For instance, one supplier sells 19 different clues, adhesives to them for the smartphone. And there are a couple of these suppliers who sell adhesives, clues to Apple. Once 19 different.
1: You couldn't imagine that it would be possible or it be required to have 19 different glues we, in one we, we have yeah.
0: no idea how complex modern value chains are. How many stages and uh, finesses are there? Fascinating. And
1: do you think the Germany is producing as many hidden champions now as it was in the past?
0: Yes, we have waves. Uh, when I look at the the waves of, of uh, new hidden champions, we had a big wave before the first world war. And many of these companies are actually older than 100 years. Then we had a second wave after the second world war. And in, in the last 20 years, we also have a, a new wave, which is... Mostly in energy, also now in sustainable uh, materials, new technologies. We have a few in digitalization, etc., but too few in digitalization. And um, there I should maybe say a word about where I see the role of Europe. Europe will not play a role in mass digitalization. That's an American game and a Chinese game. And to explain that, Uber, I use the Uber example, Uber tested its systems for about three years in San Francisco and then rolled it out to all American large cities without modification. If you do the same in Berlin or in London and you want to roll it out all over Europe, you have to overcome 27 bureaucracies and 27 languages. The global standard in mass customization does not come from Europe. We should rather focus on B2B processes, so rather on niche markets, not on the large uh, markets. And I think the bottleneck is not in our know-how, but it's in our ability or non-ability to set the global standard. I think we should strive to become part of the American ecosystems in, in digitalization, in artificial intelligence, or you could call it the transatlantic, instead of uh, trying to create our European autonomy or sovereignty. It will fail. And, uh, but I see the opposite again from the politicians which say uh, we have to create our own uh, systems, etc. That will fail.
1: In terms of the B two B process piece, have you got some examples of that where that's you see that working? I guess in 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 technology.
0: Yeah, in technology, TeamViewer is the global leader in so-called remote uh, control systems. Their software is installed on two point five billion devices all over the world. Two point five billion. LSTM that stands for long short-term memory that is part of the software behind Siri of Apple or Alexa of Amazon installed on more than 3 billion smartphones comes from Germany and Switzerland. DeepL is the best translation software in the world coming from Cologne in in Germany. Germany is leading in autonomous driving which nobody knows. We are the first country with level 3 autonomous uh, driving last year certified and Mercedes is ahead of Tesla in autonomous driving and just got level three certification in California and Nevada. Level three means the following. Level two is you are allowed to take your hands from the wheel, but you still have to be uh, concentrated to intervene. Level three is you are allowed to take hands from the wheel and do something else. Read a book, a newspaper, a video. Because in the case of emergency, the car will um, take care, will control and uh, move the car to the side. So one third of all patents in autonomous driving in the last 10 years come from Germany. Nobody knows that again. Hidden. Hidden champions. Aha. Very good. And Mercedes is the leading company in in autonomous driving. The only one which has Level 3 certification in Germany, California, Nevada right now.
1: Very good. And what's the, I think when we spoke, I mean, your hidden champions, the Chinese century, your view was that lots of hidden champions would emerge from China. But I was just, before I go into that, are there things governments can do to promote hidden champions or set the stage so hidden champions
0: can evolve? Governments cannot play, say, a decisive role in in marketing, in building up global uh, sales and service network, etc. But governments can play a decisive role in the education sector. And that is certainly one of the strengths in Germany, our so-called dual vocational training system. Dual because the young people work in a company for three days, get a modest salary, and for two days, they attend a vocational training school. And uh, these programs are usually three to three and a half years uh, when they graduate as qualified workers. And uh, we we certainly have the best qualified workers in the world with this system. And it's also increasingly applied on, on the academic level These schools are called dual universities, so people work in a company and study either two days per week or in in time blocks over a certain period of time. So this integration of theory and practice, I think, is one of the most important foundations of international competitiveness.
1: Yeah, one of our clients in Australia, um, Macquarie technology group, hires students whilst at university gets them to come and work part-time and they continue their studies yeah. part-time. And so yeah. that, that dual track. But I also went to a high school in, in New York called the Aviation High School. And 50% of the classes are metalwork. It's about training the engineers to go and work in the airline industry.
0: Oh, those, These are
1: similar concepts. I'm there thinking, God, I had to do Latin and I could have done. I could have fired up a jet engine instead brilliant. They, they, somebody donated a Gulfstream to them, so they had to dismantle it outside the school and rebuild it inside the school, and then sometimes they get to go and fire the jet engines up on the Gulfstream in the car park.
0: Just. <laughs> so It still works. The <laughs> engine, yeah. Just great, fun. great yeah, fun. I think this challenge is also underestimated. I was in China a few weeks ago and visited the newest BYD factory which came into operation this February. And uh, so we looked at the assembly lines, et cetera. And uh, then we came to a department where they trained um, people, workers. Um, and I asked, how long is the training? They said two days. <laughs> I'm not sure whether you can really <laughs> qualify Somebody. Says, I don't know what their uh, education, what their the level of qualification was, but uh, educating, training people in a, in a useful way is the key, the key success factor.
1: Fabulous. What, what books have you been reading recently? You got some good recommendations?
0: One of the most recent books uh, I read was the biography of Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. Isaacson, <laughs> it's really crazy. I mean, Elon Musk is an uh, integration of genius and, uh, and craziness. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. I could recommend that book to everybody who is interested in, in management and uh, modern uh, industries, uh, technologies, etc.,
1: I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. I, I was left thinking, you know, sometimes you read books, biographies, and, and there's a sense of, I don't know, I was going to say envy. That's not what I mean. But, you know, it, w- it might be nice to be them. Right. Whereas in, the, in his case, I was left thinking, he's a very troubled soul and I'm, des- I'm delighted I'm not him. He must, you know, he wakes up every morning and there's a sense of, I don't know, some sense that I, I'm happy that he has and I don't. Probably yeah.
0: you are also delighted that you don't have to work under him. <laughs> that would yeah. even, even birth. <laughs> right now. I am also reading another interesting book. It's uh, the title is "Forged in Crisis," and it is about leaders. I forgot the name of the author. It's an uh, American uh, lady, a professor, and these are the stories of Shackleton, the guy uh, who saved his team in uh, the Antarctis. Lincoln, now it's about Bonhoeffer was killed, a uh, uh, Protestant minister was killed by the, uh, the Nazis in, in Germany. That's also a very, very interesting book about leadership under extreme circumstances. Uh, Lincoln during the civil war in the, in the US. And then there was uh, another guy, uh, a black guy, who fought for, uh, against slavery in the US. Douglas is, is his name. So very different leaders. And uh, the, the chapters are like, like biographies of these ah, people, okay. but under the perspective of, of leadership. Very, very enlightening. Fantastic. Forged in Crisis is the title. Fabulous.
1: I will, the Elon Musk one I've read, but Forged in Crisis, I will go in acquire straight away. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. Have you got any final thoughts for people? Something that they should be doing tomorrow as they listen to this?
0: To parents, listen to what I said about education. The opportunities are good, but the challenges are also very high. So help your children that they get a good education. To businesses, don't be too much affected by the current pessimism. I think the the stock market who recovered in the last couple of months is is a good indicator for next year. So I'm optimistic that uh, things will get better and some of the crisis will hopefully disappear. I cannot make a prediction, as I said, on Ukraine or uh, Middle East. I have some positive signals from China. I think that's very interesting. Xi Jinping met uh, Biden and also American uh, entrepreneurs and managers. They gave up the visa for for uh, the, the need to have visa for several European countries. They gave up the boycott against uh, Lithuania, it was. So there are some positive signs. And I think if this crisis between China and, uh, and the U.S. can be brought down a little, some pressure uh, taken out, that that would be very useful, helpful for the global economy.
1: Fantastic. Herman, thank you very much indeed for your time again.
0: I enjoyed it as ever. Yeah, thank you and uh, Merry Christmas. All the best for the new year.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did.